This is episode 13 of the Wash Talk podcast with Patrick Moriarty of IRC. Welcome to the Wash Talk podcast series from IRC. My name is Andy Narricott and this is the podcast where we open up the discussion on what the wash sector needs to do to achieve the sustainable development goals. We'll be interviewing people from all over the world, from policymakers and human rights activists, to economists and water service providers, to get us all moving closer to the goals we're striving for. Sustainable Development Goal 6. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's get started. The theme of this year's World Water Day is Nature for Water. And this concept of using nature-based solutions or green infrastructure to restore ecosystems. It is considered a more sustainable and cost-effective way of managing our water resources and to mitigate the effects of climate change such as increased floods, droughts and water pollution. I am joined today by Patrick Moriarty, CEO of IRC, and we're going to dig into green infrastructure within the backdrop of integrated water resource management and the messy but crucial task of getting stakeholders together to make the right water management choices that ensure safe and equitable water and sanitation services for all. But before we dive in, make sure you head over to ircwash.org forward slash wash talk for the summary of this episode in nice neat bullet points to help you take action. So without any further ado, let's jump into this episode with Patrick Moriarty. This week, I'm talking with Patrick Moriarty about nature for water, which is the theme of World Water Day this year in 2018. So Patrick, as you all know, I'm sure is CEO of IRC and has over 20 years in the sector, of which 18 has been with IRC, uh, both as country director in Ghana and director of one of uh, IRC's major projects, the Triple S project. So he's predominantly a water resource management expert, but likes to put himself firmly in the messy space between policy research and practice. So welcome, Patrick, onto the show. Great. Thanks very much, Andy. Nice to be uh, talking to you again. Well, this year's theme on World Water Day, so it's nature for water, and this concept of using nature-based solutions or green infrastructure to restore ecosystems, you know, being a more sustainable and perhaps cost-effective way than before, which may be just talking about grey infrastructure, I suppose. Can you elaborate more, just so we set the scene, elaborate more on what we mean here by green infrastructure? Sure. So... Look, water, water is obviously all around us. It's part of part of the environment, the hydrological cycle that we talk about uh, a lot in water resource management. The, the way that water flows through the environment is mediated by by the environment. And in the past, I guess we've come from a paradigm of tending to try and control that. We build dams, we build. Uh, pipelines we bring the water from one place to another and and that's been successful to a point but we're coming up against some of the boundaries of that and particularly with uh with climate change and ever increasing demand on water resources the the limits of just uh of treating the water through construction and concrete are being reached and so i guess the whole concept of green infrastructure comes out of the broader environmental movement, and it's about trying to work in a, work with 
nature, if you like, rather than against nature. And it ranges from everything from restoring upland forestry so as to reduce uh, the tendency to flood down to very practical things like making the making pavements in our cities more permeable or ensuring that uh, the water that runs off people's roofs doesn't go into the sewage system and straight out to the sea, but is actually put into some sort of pit that allows it to infiltrate back into groundwater. Mm. And is this, would you see that this is a, um, are we advocating for a move in in the green direction rather than the grey direction? Or is this meant to be complementary to existing solutions out there? I think it's meant to be complementary. And if you look at you know countries where it's been adopted, it's uh, or cities, you know, uh, California, uh, Australia, places with it are uh, really coming up against the you know, hard against the limits of available water resources, and are trying to think about uh, smart ways to make more water available and to be less wasteful of the water they're using. It's about it's about using the green infrastructure to limit some of the the more the extreme events the floods in particular and to make sure that more water is available uh for use by humans and by and by uh natural ecosystems yeah and i suppose it sounds more cost effective than uh gray infrastructure is just very large tickets for dams and uh you know desalination plants and all the rest of it um Perhaps I think that there's more management responsibilities because you can't just sort of let green uh, take over. There's a lot of management requirements to go into that as well. Um, is it? Do you do we believe as well that it's cost effective? I think that so. I think you're mentioning management, and management is is the key word in anything to do with water resource water resource management. That's why that's why it's there. Um, management and governance. Green infrastructure, I think, has undoubtedly has a place. It's really, really stupid to, uh, in particularly in countries that are prone to intense rainfall events or uh, extended periods of drought, to build huge uh, unplanned urban expanses where, for example, everything is paved. So everything is a hard surface, water. As soon as the rain comes, water flows off the roads and the rain uh, on the rooftops, picks up pollution as it goes, is channeled into often very badly maintained sewers and floods out either into the sea or into some lower lying part of the city. Okay, so you can picture the sort of problems we have. And I wouldn't even say that's grey water infrastructure. That's just poor urban planning and poor infrastructure uh, development. And it makes a ton of sense in situations like that to think about what to do with the water and to think about smart ways to reduce the rate at which it flows off, runs off, and uh, to increase how it goes into how it goes into groundwater where it can be used again. Having said which, you know, I'm talking there about urban planning, almost everything to do with water resource management is calls for uh, management planning capacity. And I think that's often where we find the big challenges in in implementing water resource management. On paper, it all looks great. On paper, it's easy to identify win-wins. In practice, it can be extraordinarily difficult, time-consuming and expensive. Hmm. 
Well, this is, I mean, this alludes to the um, the whole systems thinking, right? It's not just about technical solutions, but it's also the people involved within the, who are managing it, as you say, but also their capacities. And they're always come, dropping in and dropping out of the system, being moved around. Uh, money flows are in that as well. Uh, and, um, and all of the different incentives and disincentives to participate. I mean, is this, uh, do you think, I mean, how do we get all of the stakeholders moving together in the same direction and understanding all of these constraints around capacity and costs and all the rest of it? Because um, I don't think it's just a matter of adding a new technical uh, response of green infrastructure into the mix. No, I completely agree. And I think that's what, you know, the our, my couple of decades of experience in doing this would would demonstrate. I've spent a lot of my life, uh, professional life, uh, bring, helping to bring together uh, groups of yeah groups of diverse stakeholders to consider water resource management issues, whether that's in South Africa or India or the Middle East. And what it comes back to time and again is actually the quality of the process by which you bring very different stakeholder groups, often with very different levels of technical understanding, and often with a, with very different uh, stake in the in what's been discussed, into some sort of level uh, playing field in which to discuss uh, to discuss these issues. I think what you know, the it's doable. That's the one thing. And I think that there are, you know, all sorts of interesting examples, particularly from the developed world of where uh, huge progress has been made on improving the quality of water resource management and the quality of decision making around it. But having said that, it's also expensive. And I think that's a huge challenge for those of us working in a developing country context where demand for water services, for drinking water coming out of a tap or for irrigation water is huge and where perhaps the awareness of environmental issues and the demand for uh, environmental services is less and where governments are extremely constrained in the resources they have at their uh, at their disposal and therefore you shift into a sort of mood or a mode of crisis management so for example the many people may have heard of the south the south india groundwater crisis which was in large part driven by uh, cheap availability of of borehole drilling, of electricity and of submersible pumps, which allowed vast numbers of very poor farmers to increase their income by irrigating their crops, but at the expense of the overall groundwater within the region and by not, uh, and have the knock-on effect of making many uh, domestic, so drinking water supplies, much less sustainable. So that's a classic example of the sort of the trade-offs that you may get into. There's a role in that for green infrastructure by increasing uh, increasing the amount of rainfall that goes into the groundwater. You can make more water available. But given that the demand is almost limitless, however much green water you put in or uh, however much more water we bring into the system, the demand is still going to be greater than us, which brings us back to the need to also 
have some form of effective governance and management of uh, the water use. Hmm. Yeah, and it's not so it's not so straightforward. I think a lot of the IWRM um, uh, rhetoric is around this sort of win-win solution when you know things can work for one party and also for another. Um, but it's never so straightforward, is it? I think you need to make these trade-offs that you mention, um, and the you know decisions are needed. Have you got any ex- examples about how or or advice about how these very difficult discussions can be had? As you've mentioned, it's a, it's a, it's about the quality of the process and getting people together to have that those meaningful discussions and making those trade-offs between the different users of water. Um, how can that be done? So I think the first, what I often say about water resource management is that there's, it's perhaps a philosophical, uh, philosophical issue, but the tendency to talk about management makes it sound as if things are more in control or we can, we can have a more optimal outcome than I believe if we can. Actually, I think it'd be much more realistic to talk about water resource politics. These are essentially political issues. They're about decision-making at a societal level. The demand for water increasingly with population growth, with climate change, with all these other drivers uh, is going to outstrip the supply. Managing that demand therefore means making choices. And I think that we have a lot of experience with developing tools which can help to lead those choices to be made, but there are essentially tools for supporting a process of inclusive governance and inclusive political decision-making. None of them will take away from the fact that those decisions need to be made. And I think a lot of you know, my interest and concern as IRC as an organization coming from where we do, which is about the, the human right to uh, drinking water and sanitation, particularly as it affects the poorest of the poor, is looking at how you can effectively get the voice of the poorest to the table for these sort of decision makings, which are often dominated and going back to where we entered on the grey water, uh, the grey infrastructure, which are often dominated by the voice of the powerful people with large stakes in massive construction contracts, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, but how do you then get the voice of dispersed, poor? people uh, who, by definition, often don't have a great political uh, political standing. Uh, how do you get that voice to the table and heard and their rights respected? Absolutely. Well, how do you do it? I mean, is there any tools? Can we bring in any um, any experience from IRC and any tools that, are, that can be adopted by others who are seeking to engage in this very difficult process? Sure. Thank, uh, I think so. Uh, you know, we've I mean, I guess going even back 10 years ago, we developed a whole suite of tools uh, as part of a, a European Union supported project called Empowers, where we were working in the Middle East around these sort of uh, these issues and where we developed a, a suite of tools for identifying uh, demand for water and the different stakeholders involved in that. That was called Empowers and, and the Empowers toolkit is available on IRC's website. More recently, with a, a consortium of partners supported by the Dutch government uh, called Watershed, we're working again on particularly on these links between water resource management and domestic water supply. And uh, 
in strengthening the capacity of civil society organizations, so NGOs, CBOs, CSOs, uh, in to, to engage with the data and to engage with the decision-making processes around water resource management. Mm. You mentioned the data there. Now, that's, I mean, great. I mean, that's integral to IWRM, isn't it? To understand the, um, you know, using, to understand the hydrology completely, to be able to make decisions. And it's absolutely important that these NGOs, CSOs, CBOs and all can engage with that data. Um, You know, let's talk about data for a second, because, you know, data collection costs is are coming down which is great um but that's not all it's not about just about collecting data it's about using it and as you say getting these disparate groups together to engage with that data um how you know how can this be done is there any um you know what are your views on this on the whole data side collecting and ensuring that that people can interact with the data and uh, making a case for investing in Uh, good quality data so this can feed into that very difficult uh, decision-making process yes so so absolutely you know you can't you can't um, it's very difficult to manage what you can't measure if you don't know how much water is there it's very difficult to make allocation decisions and of course when you're making uh, trying to share out water between different users different demands What's extraordinarily difficult is that, as everyone will have noticed, water doesn't just sit in one place. It tends to flow, you know, it, it runs downhill. It's not a, it's, so it's unequally available in space and time without wanting to get overly technical. And understanding the, understanding the links between the different aspects of the hydrological cycle, between rainfall, between runoff, between recharge, is is complicated and it's often counterintuitive. So, for example, yeah, well, yes, it's great to reforest uplands and that can help to slow down the rate at which water that falls as rainfall turns into a destructive flood downstream. But there's a tendency to forget that, of course, the, the forest and the uplands will become a big user of water in itself. So you have very, very complicated and complex trade-offs in there. Uh, the more data we have, the more we can understand them. But having said that, there are limits to the understanding. So one of the, I've, in my experience, found one of the most difficult issues around this is engaging with uh, politicians and decision makers in a context of great uncertainty. And it's however much money we spend on on more data, and we should, and we need more data, uh, the uncertainty won't go away. So a lot of the time, what you're seeking to do as well is to build the capacity of planners and decision makers to make good decisions under conditions of considerable uncertainty. That's working with the professionals. You then want to have a meaningful engagement of civil society into these discussions, and it becomes even harder because you're trying to then uh, communicate quite advanced scientific, technical uh, concepts to people who may have very limited education. It's a communication issue. It's uh, it's an educational issue. And again, it goes back to the need to invest money in in quality processes if you want to get uh, 
quality results out and, and where, where most importantly people feel that they've been heard and they've had a voice in a decision and haven't had their rights and concerns overlooked. Mm, absolutely and I think this really um, links well with the last uh, podcast on national monitoring systems when we talked about getting that data out from government databases and in a format that people can use it for planning for budgeting and doing you know and that's half the challenge there's no good just data sitting in a database it's getting into a format that people can use it and make decisions with it too yes absolutely absolutely great well thank you uh, patrick i think we can leave it there this is um a nice uh well expansive conversation around the issue of uh, green infrastructure and how that segues into iwrm um and all of the challenges around it but uh, thank you very much for coming on to the watch talk podcast and uh, on this world water day in 2018 great thanks andy that was patrick moriarty of irc thank you to patrick for speaking to me on the watch talk podcast from irc but if you liked it make sure you share it the web address is ircwash.org forward slash watch talk and make sure you add to the discussion by using hashtag watch talk on Twitter or in the comments on Facebook. Don't miss the next episode in a few weeks, but until then, thank you for listening. That's it. Have a great World Water Day.